All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to Bizzlecast 71, where we are talking about the December 2016 epic CWDC Invasion crossover on the CW channel, where all four major shows are basically one giant plot line, and we wouldn't be doing this podcast, and I wouldn't do it by myself here without... Maddie G, my uh, gateway drug to DC Comics, Matt. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm uh, real happy to be here. I found out about the Invasion event the day we recorded a podcast. I don't know when that was, two, three months ago. Mm-hmm. I have been eagerly awaiting it ever since. And having now watched all four episodes, I think it was worth it. I think it was, I would call it a rousing success. So your prediction was that it was going to be Arrow, I think, at the time, Arrow-based, and that would start earlier. It seems to be Flash-based. We're going to get to all of that, Matt. But I have two quick things. Um to uh to ask you before we dive in um well for the first is just a comment actually it's not an ask uh, which is this is a spoiler podcast i haven't seen a bunch of the episodes leading up to it i didn't watch supergirl um the supergirl part um just uh, and we'll get back to this we're talking supergirl flash arrow and Legends of Tomorrow, in that order, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It is currently the 1st of December, I should say, actually, so it's a late November release. And we'll talk about what a crossover is. It doesn't happen that much in television for a number of reasons, obvious and less obvious. This is a spoilery podcast. I am going to be um, getting revelations left and right because I've struggled to keep up with the CW, even though I'm trying with both Flash and Arrow in particular. So Matt will, uh, Matt will fill us in on that and fill me in on that. Um, but really quick, Matt, before we jump into the crossover, and you can talk about what the crossover is and maybe where the germination of the, the idea came from, we are in kind of the first quarter, or uh, first third of these four shows, and we are in Arrow Season 5, and we are in Flash Season 3, and I believe we are in Legends and Supergirl Season 2. Yeah, um, and that's right. Yes. So we're actually one week away from the mid-season finale for all four shows. Oh. So um or the winter finale. Winter finale. These shows don't exactly do like no. a hard break and then all new episodes every week. I think there's sort of like a soft spring break too to get them right up to the end of May, but we're actually there's one more new episode next week that'll resume the season arcs for each show and then it's going to go on break for probably about 3 weeks or so, 4 weeks. And, and um, this is actually an issue that we've somehow neglected, I'm not sure on purpose, which maybe we get to at the end of this if we feel like it, which is how difficult it is to do a single season of 23 or 24 episodes. You know, we heat praise on shows like Battlestar and Orphan Black and Game of Thrones. But the reality is those are 10 episodes Yeah, 10 to year. 13. Yeah, a year. Um, even though like the Battlestar seasons were technically 20, there was like seven months between season two and 2.5 or three and 3.5 yeah. as they called them. So this is actually a really, really high level of difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you would, ma'am, just in case there are people listening like me who want to know <laughs> how we got to where we're going and, and haven't gotten there yet and we may get there on our own or may not, but we're here for spoilers. Give a quick recap, if you would, for how we got to this crossover in terms of the main shows, um, uh, you know, in, in sort of early, early to mid uh, season. 
Okay, I'm not sure if you're asking me how the shows as as entities got to this point or how the plots got to this point. The plots all season long have had nothing to do with what happened this week. This week is a completely isolated event, which I think is great because it means if you are only somewhat familiar with these characters but haven't necessarily been able to catch up on this season, maybe if, for instance, you only watch these on Netflix and they show up late, sure. you could watch Invasion and – with the exception of the Supergirl episode, understand what's going on because nothing other than a couple of throwaway lines in Arrow, Flash, or Legends has anything to do with the plot of the rest of the of the season. Okay, so we maybe should have talked about this before the podcast, but I have two ideas about how to proceed here. Okay. We can go show by show okay. where we talk about the show in general and then the episode mm-hmm. in particular. Or we can do a quick recap of all four shows and then talk about just dive into the crossover as a singular giant episode. I think talking about all four of them together works better because one of the things that I think does work worked so well with this crossover is that when all of these characters are interacting with each other, at least for me, there was no confusion of how do these people know who they are, why are these people interacting. You have Lila, who is Diggle's wife, who probably hasn't talked to Barry Allen in two years, but the Flash episode just starts with a conversation between them, and they don't even really seem to reflect upon the fact that they maybe haven't talked to each other in two years. You have Cisco and Kate and uh, Felicity show up talking to the new guys on Arrow, and nobody seems to mind. You have Kara showing up on an entirely different Earth, and nobody seems to like think that's a big deal. This is a successfully executed multiverse concept is if you will buy that all of these people could just be talking to each other. I mean, if I, they never tried it, I don't know how they would do it with uh, the Marvel shows on ABC. Obviously, we're going to see if they pull it off with Defenders. It seems likely they'll pull it off. But like, if two characters on uh, USA channel shows that air of back-to-back were to cross over into each other's episodes, which they occasionally did, there's a fair amount of confusion of how do these people know each other exist? Um, I was actually watching a a reality show that was a crossover between Orange County Choppers, American Chopper, whatever that was, (laughs) and this company that makes guns. And it was really confusing for me to think that these people exist in the same universe, even though it's a reality show. So they they literally do. Um, But this hung together better than a crossover between reality shows. Yeah. And um, okay, so uh, I I think that makes sense. So let's do a quick recap. So I'm going to play the role of the person who hasn't seen all the episodes. You're going to play the role of the expert. Big stretch there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Supergirl, which airs on Mondays. Yes. Used to be on CBS, now on CW. The first season, I'm assuming, was mostly a character introduction, although they did already uh, have some um, movement and communication between uh, Earth's uh, her, in her universe and the Flash, right? I, I believe in the in the first season of Supergirl, and now they've done it multiple times. The Flash showed up in one episode of Supergirl, and yeah. shows it seems like buddies now. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe was the best episode last season. It's funny. It's warm. It came out. I've said this before about a week after Batman v Superman, and it was just this like 
breath of fresh air that somebody at DC knew what these characters were supposed to be like and how they were supposed to act. Um, Supergirl on TV, I'm not the only critic who, or I'm not a critic. I'm not the only person who has said this. Uh, I watched a YouTube video about this. That Supergirl is in many ways a gender swapped Superman more than an adaptation of any one Supergirl uh, from the comics. She is a reporter. She is kind of dorky and affable. She is a symbol of hope. She feels like all of this, like she embodies all the symbolism that Superman is supposed to. Um, and when she and Flash show up, they he has great chemistry with that entire cast. And then he goes back to his Earth. There's an episode of The Flash where he comes out of a portal wearing the arm the the device that let him go to Supergirl's Earth. But that's it. He never mentions knowing her until he goes to recruit her at the end of the first part of this four-part crossover, which is really a 3.1-part crossover. The Supergirl episode is mostly about the plot of Supergirl this season, and then he shows up right at the end to recruit her, which makes sense because she is on an entirely different Earth. It's called Earth-38, which yep. I'm pretty sure is a reference to 1938 being yep. the year Action Comics debuted. Mm-hmm. Um, One year before there, Marvel, yep. Right, because there is an Earth-38 in the comics multiverse, and it's the one where basically all of the Superman and Batman started their careers in the 30s, so the ones from the original Action and, Bat- and Batman comics and Detective Comics mm-hmm. got old eventually had kids and i think eventually grandkids so it's basically the original legacy yeah. uh earth but i think it's mostly just a reference to action comics one coming yeah. out in 1938 okay a couple quick things all right one um i think i might have hint, I, I i sort of teased this when we talked about mentioned the accountant uh but ben affleck the accountant he's la- he's laundering so much money for himself and others that he yeah has- he gets paid with like fa- like art paintings. and yeah he gets he has jackson and he has Pollock. a copy of action one right yeah. he, he i actually, heard about that he has not only does he have action one but he has like the number one mint for all the original um originals um you know before That's dc worth was a lot DC. of money i mean there's oh, only a couple yes. There's only a couple of issues of yeah. Action 1 and in dwell on pristine it in the- condition in the world. I mean, that thing is worth probably about $1.8 million. He also has two original Jackson Pollocks and a whole bunch of other shit. Anyways, number two, Kara versus Kara. This is endlessly <laughs> impossible to understand. And I wasn't going to bring this up, um, but I- I'm going to talk about the Danvers thing in a second. Um, in, in, in Battlestar, Starbuck is called Kara or Kara, depending on the character early on. And then they smartly, I think, uh, settled on Kara, um, right. as, you know, as her, as her name, but you'll still hear fans. Um, actually sure. Ron Moore calls her Kara when you listen to the Ron Moore commentaries, he's the okay. creator of the primary, but, but they decided in the show, Kara, you know, they have on all these shows, pronunciation experts for everything, you know, cause there's so much techno yeah. babble and so many names. So, but, right. but the real reason I'm bringing this up is Matt, I have done so much research, uh, research trying to figure mm-hmm. out who came up with Danvers and I cannot for the life of me find a definitive answer as to how super Supergirl and Captain Marvel slash Miss Marvel are both named Danvers, Kara Danvers, and Carol Danvers. Do you have any insight into this? I don't. I know that Supergirl, right when her character was introduced in the comics, immediately went by the alter ego Linda Lee Danvers. That was her. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the n- name she went by uh, when. <laughs> this is kind of fucked up. When Superman first meets her in the comics. Uh-oh. He drops her at an orphanage and then kind of just leaves Uh-oh. her to fend for herself. 
but her alter ego is Linda Lee Danvers. Um, and then when they, when Peter David wrote a Supergirl comic in the nineties, that was is considered to be a pretty good run. She became another person whose name was Linda Danvers. So Danvers has always been the last name for Supergirl's character. I have no idea where Carol Danvers comes from. It, they could be related. Um, so I, that actually, you I, know what? That actually vibes with my understanding, which is that DC is that a, uh, arrow pun right there. It, it vibes. Oh, vibes. Vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking for a different word, but I can't come up with it. So I just said vibes. That's funny. No, you mean a flash pun. Um, yeah, which, well, he's on both now. So he's on both now, uh, actually, which is that introduced him on arrow. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get back to this, <laughs> um, which is that the Danvers came from DC Right, and then the Carol Danvers it happened, and then the Kara Danvers happened. So it's like sort of a shared property in a weird way. And DC and Marvel have done both uh, have done literal crossovers in the past, occasionally. Yeah. And as as we All talked about universe. off the podcast, yeah, as we talked about off the podcast before this, a lot of the writers have written for DC and Marvel and Image and Dark Horse and so forth. So it's not worth like a legal battle over a comic book name, I think is sort of what it came down to. And it's possible that, that the writers was actually, uh, the, 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 um, the connection between all of that, if that makes sense. Like maybe some people who wrote for Supergirl, uh, wrote also for Miss Marvel or vice versa. I have no idea. So, okay, we'll put that aside. All right. Next observation. Having seen very little actual Supergirl, but seen her in the crossover and just in general and clips and stuff. And I mean, she's so appealing. She's mm-hmm. that perfect amount of attractive, but is, is not threatening to girls nor overly distracting to men, I think. You know, it's like that, just like that perfect, sort of like Kristen Ritter a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, just to like. <sighs> I would say like, it's she couldn't to be Tatiana Maslany. And or I've Tatiana Maslany, the two sure. Before the, the um, you have, I don't remember that comparison. Yeah, okay. We, I don't remember which episode we're talking about, but I said that in interviews, Melissa Benoist comes oh, across yes, yes, having yes, yes, that yes. same affability and disarming quality that right. Tatiana Maslany does. I'm, I'm more talking in the superficial level of attractiveness, sure. which is super I th- superficial. I think, I think it's both. But uh, somebody on a YouTube video I watched described her as saying uh melissa benoist as saying her hot to cute ratio is balanced like a fucking hattori hanzo source and 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 her alter ego of carol of cara danvers cara danvers she really looks different i mean she looks like mayim bialik with those glasses on young like young mayim bialik but with the glasses off she looks like a more uh younger and and more attractive claire danes or something like that like she really looks different uh in the two and she plays it well you know you never buy it with clark kent i guess because of hair you can do more with women in some ways in terms of hiding your identity by just changing the hair completely and the kind of clothes that you wear christopher reeve uh as clark kent completely i mean I mean, there's a scene in the first Superman where he is standing up real strong and tall like Superman while Lois is getting ready for a date or something. And then when he realizes he doesn't want to tell her who he is yet, he kind of shrinks down, changes his voice. And on screen, you basically see him change personas. And it's completely believable um, the ways that the the way that this is not that nobody would see through this. Uh You know, you buy 
well, his this one I buy identity, too. even if it's just posture and voice. Yeah. Um, I buy this one too. Um, which yeah, this is one thing Supergirl does really well is it takes a lot of its cues from the Donner movies and also a little bit of Superman three. Can, just because I'm sorry, Matt. Of, no, for, for for non DC people, you refer to Donner movies all the time. I know what you're talking about. Can you oh. just quickly describe yeah, yeah, yeah. who Donner is? Richard Donner directed the first two Superman movies, the first two Christopher Reeve movies. They are without a doubt the two best Superman movies there have ever been. Christopher Reeve is a billion times better than Henry Cavill ever, 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 ever will be. Even if he had a director and decent that knew his, like what he was doing and a decent script, he still would not be anywhere close to what Christopher Reeve was. He's too, um, dark. He's too dark of a personality. It doesn't work with Superman. He's yeah. too dark. He's too unlikable. Yeah. He's too mopey. I mean, you know. When they introduced uh, Tyler Hakelin as Superman in the first two season, first two episodes of Supergirl this year, that guy got closer to Reeve than Cable did with about three times the amount of screen time. Um, the guy was also channeling a little bit of Dean Cain from Lois and Clark, but I will never knock an actor for drawing inspiration from oh previous God. versions of the character. Terry Hatcher and Lois and Clark. Holy shit. Was she yeah. gorgeous? Yeah. She's still gorgeous. I mean... Um, that was actually not a bad show. Yeah, so, um, well, not only was it not a horrible show, but it just never comes up in conversation, interestingly. Uh, not just yeah. with you, just in general. So, okay. So, Supergirl, the the crossover episode, which we're going to get to, actually, there's very little that happens until the very, very end of the Supergirl episode. And one of the things I want to talk with you about, having seen... A little bit of the Supergirl episode, the whole Flash episode, uh, Flash episode, the whole Arrow episode, and now I'm just watching sort of clips of the Legends episode, which is really mm-hmm. action-packed and looks kind of amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to dissect if you if you are interested. I, I would love to. You know, I love literary criticism when applied to TV and movies. You right. know how they decided what was going to happen in which and who was going to appear, and you know which was going to be the drama episodes, which was going to be the action episodes. They didn't do Supergirl any favors by not really teasing it a whole lot until the very end in the first one. But we're going to get back to that. Anything else you'd like to uh, add about Supergirl in general as we continue our, our, our <laughs> somewhat rapid um, uh, recap of where, how CW got to where it is right now? Yeah, I mean, all, all I'm going to say about Supergirl is I think it's far and away the most improved from last season to this season. Yep. I, I really look forward to watching it each week. Um, I think the interpersonal drama and the interpersonal dynamics are actually maybe the strongest of any of the shows. Um, I think the core relationship of Kara and Alex, played by Tyler Lee, who they have given a lot of emotionally meaty stuff to work with this season, including a really, really, really well done series of coming out scenes two weeks ago, uh, I I think is some of the best. Uh, character work in any superhero TV show. Um, I would put those scenes up against Jessica Jones. Not all of Jessica Jones, but I would say you take the... I wouldn't, but I respect it. You take the B-plus scenes from Jessica Jones, and there are a few of them. I would stack those up against those scenes from Supergirl from uh, the episode changing. <laughs> Let's not no, Jessica, J- well. yeah, Jessica Jones is the best. I mean, there's never going to be anything I know, I or, know, or hasn't been anything as good as it. Yeah. But Supergirl should get a ton of credit for how much it's improved 
it's amazing how much it's improved despite yes. its budget diminishing Which from because matter. it went from CBS to CW. I mean, yeah. it should have gotten worse, and it's so much better. Yep. Yeah. You know, that's like going from that's like the Red Sox suddenly finding themselves with the payroll of the Tampa Bay Rays. Yep. You and know, they uh, win 120 games in the World Series. I mean, I mean, dude, the Tampa Bay Rays beat you guys in 08 in seven games. And then even though we beat them 4-1 in the World <laughs> Series, gave us a scare. I mean, sure. we never felt confident. And that was that weird World Series where the final game five, they had to stop in inning six yeah, and yeah, like yeah. restart two days later. That was the most like I, all of Philadelphia for 48 hours. I don't think slept at all. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I get what you're saying. And I just want to clarify. And look, if you've listened to me or read my blog or read my Facebook post, you know, I'm a ridiculous uber feminist. My obsession with Jessica Jones and, you know, doing an entire season uh, series commentary for Jessica Jones or season commentary and everything else you know i'm a huge feminist i am a heterosexual male but the bottom line is the reason i find uh melissa and how's her name pronounced correctly benoist benoist we screwed that up and we screwed up brandon routh who we've been calling brandon ruth sorry people out there it's actually harder to get pronunciations for names specifically sorry to brandon and melissa yeah sorry to them although they're both incredibly attractive successful and rich so i'm sure yeah so i think they'll be okay (laughs) (laughs) but um melissa benoist has the the three or four most important qualities for me and a girl which is charisma brains humor and just a great smile I mean, to me, like, you know what I mean? Like, is, uh, is Katie Cassidy, who plays Laurel Lance, attractive on paper? Sure. But she doesn't have charisma. She doesn't have a great smile. She's not funny, and she's not interesting. Melissa Benoist has all of those qualities, and, and that's what I appreciate about her. It, it, you know what I mean? That, that, that's what I find attractive in general in my life, and I look for that in, in characters as well. I mean, it's like Tatiana Maslany. You know, she's not traditionally gorgeous, but she's so talented and so charismatic that, you know, you, you completely, completely are there. And I think that applies for male characters as well. And so I think she's doing great. Great. I agree with you that the smaller budget doesn't matter. Um, and, you know. Well, they've made yeah. it not that matter. It could have killed the yeah. show, but uh, amazingly, they figured out how to do more with less. Right. Okay, we'll get back to that. We got to keep moving here. So, right. Flash. So, I've, I saw most of season two Flash. I didn't see the last few episodes. I haven't seen this season. I yeah. think I have a pretty good handle on, you know, he tried again to save his mother. And yeah. he screwed up even worse this time. Yeah. Um, and the, luckily, they're dealing with the consequences now, which I really like. I love that he tried to take himself out of the battle in the crossover, which we'll get to. And Oliver sympathizes with him about making bad decisions, trying to do good. I love right. Oliver. That scene where they're in the, the, uh, the future room um, at Star Labs and, and Oliver's unburdening himself at trying to support Barry is one of the great, for me, comic book TV drama scenes ever. Um, and I just love those two guys. I mean, those two are, are really carrying the entire CW, as far as I can tell. I, I, I'm not. I can't speak to to Benoist because I just haven't seen enough of her. She seems like she's right there. So Arrow. So no, he, they're at the core. And I'm gonna. Yeah. This is the first major spoiler. Legends of Tomorrow spoiler. ends very fittingly with a scene with Barry and uh, uh, Oliver drinking together in a bar, and it's very telling that those are the two that the final scene of this big four-part thing 
that we should get to at some point. I really well, we're think getting it's there. the we're of we're, everything they yeah. wanted to do. I wanted it to talk about Supergirl a little bit because we haven't really talked about it, and it's sort of new to me. Okay. So we're going to talk really quickly about the other three shows and jump to the crossover. Um, all right, so we really want to get into the crossover itself. Um, but for, for my own uh, pleasure and knowledge, and for you people who might not be caught up, like, like I'm not caught up, are there any major kind of flash arrow things that happened sort of late last season or early this season that we need to know about in terms of how the characters are interacting uh, when they all come together in the crossover? Yeah, so what you have to know is when Barry changes history at the end of season two by saving his mother from Zoom, uh, from Professor Zoom, the reverse Flash, he, uh, in the comics, they're the same name, here they're split, whatever, he creates an alternate history called Flashpoint, where a lot of things are different, everything gets screwed up. He ultimately does put things right in that he frees reverse flash from pri- from this prison he's put him in and ask him to go back and, and kill his mom. But even the, the, with that done, there's still changes to the timeline and the repercussions of that are felt throughout flash to a lesser extent in arrow. And they, as you'll find out in legends of tomorrow, um, or as is revealed in the legends of tomorrow, part of this crossover, is the reason the Dominators are attacking, because they are afraid of a metahuman who has the ability to change time indiscriminately. Some of the effects are uh, Cisco's brother is dead. Um, He was killed in a a bike accident or something. Wasn't Flash's fault, but he was alive before Barry changed time. He's dead now. Cisco blames Barry for that. Caitlin Snow has ice powers, and so she's very scared she's turning into killer frost the earth 2 version of her mm. from last season who was a psychopath um it was great to dig- get to see that the actress uh daniel pennebaker get to do yeah. that uh, performance though because she's such a sort of good girl uptight you know a straight arrow the rest of the time exactly you know i mean what else happens? Uh, Diggle has a son now instead yep. of a daughter, which is yeah. actually in keeping with an episode of Legends of Tomorrow where they go into a possible future, um, and it's revealed that John Diggle Jr. has taken over uh, as Green Arrow after Oliver Queen got his arm chopped off, which is a reference to the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel. Anyway, it's kind of like, ooh, are we going into this dark future now? Um so all of the repercussions of Flashpoint, all of the things that happen because Barry changes time, has a huge effect on why the, everybody doesn't trust him, why Cisco is a lot mopier than he used to be, uh, and why ultimately the Dominators come. Um, part four talks about how they fear the rise of metahumans as a threat to the to the Dominators and um, and their security, which is the plot of the eighty nine. Uh, comic invasion that this is sort of based on is the dominators are afraid metahumans pose a threat to them because humans can become metahuman at a much much higher rate than other alien races so they think they've got to put the whole thing down and just quell all the metahumans before they become a, a galactic scourge and the reason they're in the tv shows they're afraid of that is because they see Barry Allen using his metahuman abilities to change time. Mm. Um, quick question. So, quick, quick uh, question for you. Yeah. 
Which of the following is, is, is the best formulation? You ready? Okay. Metahumans. Right. Inhumans. Superhumans. Or Ubermensch. Well, Ubermensch, <laughs> I don't think most people, and honestly myself included, exactly know what Nietzsche meant when he wrote Ubermensch. It does literally translate as Overman or Superman, yep. but I don't quite think what he was going for when he came up with that concept is what we think of as superhumans. Um, you know, I, metahuman is a genetic thing. You, you're a metahuman if your metagene activates. And it's in Marvel, it's like your mutant genes activate. But the dominators in the comics come to Earth to experiment on the metagene. So um, and see if they can harness it uh, and basically create a race, a superhero, a superhuman army. So wait, wait um, hold on real quick, because it's been a while since I've seen, Ar- um, I'm sorry, Flash season one. Right. So the people who were affected by Harrison Wells's experiment, and by the way, I want to get back to the fact that I love, love, love that we have a third version of Harrison Wells that's completely different and off his fucking rocker. Yeah, he's, he's really off his rocker. Ben Kavanaugh is so talented. It's I mm-hmm. really, I almost prefer this over the top version to the season two one. Um, but uh, so. Uh, just as a reminder, so the people who became metahumans did have a sort of uh, catalyst gene uh, when, when the uh, reactor went, went crazy. Yeah, we're talking because it's about not genetic if you're mutated after you're born. Uh, yeah, if you're exposed to a dark matter yeah, energy, that's called radiation poisoning. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Basically, what they have is a really awesome form of cancer. Um, no, I mean, in the comics, the metagene activates and you're a metahuman. Mm-hmm. In DC, in this Arrowverse, yeah, all of these superheroes, with the exception, obviously, of Supergirl, Martian Manhunter, Aliens, got their powers from exposure to this, um, uh, to this dark energy, this mysterious energy from another dimension that nobody really knows exactly what it is. Um, right, or well, they got their powers yeah. from alchemy, and no, sure. we're not quite sure how alchemy, Doctor Alchemy, what his deal is, but he can also give people superpowers. All right, so this brings us, without you know, g- going too long on the history of all the CW channels to, uh, until now, to the crossover. So, Matt, I want you to first a give a brief description of what a crossover is in this context what makes it a crossover and uh b if you think it succeeds um overall and then we can jump into the specifics so go ahead sure so crossovers in comics are event miniseries usually anywhere from as few as three issues which invasion was to as many as 12 or more um but they are a big thing that usually poses some kind of massive worldwide threat that pulls in all of the superheroes, like really all of the different titles, people with monthly character, monthly series, etc. They all have to band together to stop it. Usually there's a bunch of spin-offs where, you know, there's the crossover issue of Superman or Green Lantern or X-Men or, you know, or you know, like how does Civil War affect X-Men or how did Age of Apocalypse affect Spider-Man? You know, it's not Age of Apocalypse issue one, two, or three. It's the Age of Apocalypse issue of Spider-Man. 
And that's how all comic crossover events, for the most part, have gone. I mean, there's been tons and tons and tons of them. They've been doing this shit for 30 plus years now. A lot of them, quite honestly, are lousy. A few are very good. Um, but they're a thing that the comic companies all do pretty much once a year. You know, once a year, once every 18 months, that's about how long they go. Um, within the context of the Arrowverse, which is the more or less official name for these four shows of Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, and Legends, called that because Arrow came first. Right. Uh, the, cro- the idea for the crossover, they've been doing episodes where guys go to – where Flash or Arrow go to each other's shows since the beginning. I think – uh, I think Flash had Arrow come on within the first maybe six issue episodes, and he meets Oliver Queen in the pilot of The Flash. So he, Barry Allen and Oliver Queen have been going back and forth to each other's shows pretty much since the beginning. Right around this time last year, there was a much larger two-part crossover between Flash and Arrow. It introduced the Hawk characters and... Vandal Savage, the villain who would all go on to um, Legends of Tomorrow. Later on, I mean, Flash showed up a few times to help uh, Arrow fight Ra's al Ghul and whatnot. So these people have been going back and forth to help out with each other's plots for a while. This is the first event where really you're taking an event that has nothing to do with the plot of Arrow or Flash this season. Flash the season arc is about Dr. Alchemy and another speed bad guy named Savitar. I'm not crazy that it's another speed bad guy. We now have three in three seasons. Uh, and Thanks Arrow, good guys. We'll it was about a gangster named Tobias Church. He's, spoiler, he's dead. And it seems like it's going to be about a guy named Prometheus. I have no idea what his deal is going to turn out to be yet. He really has shown up very, very, very little so far. Um, this plot with the aliens, with the Dominators... It has nothing to do with either of those. It is a, a singular event that has basically every character from all four shows, well, from the, the three on the same Earth, and then Supergirl comes over to help. So you have all of Team Flash, even Wally West as Kid Flash in his kind of debut as a hero, more or less. You have all of the Arrow characters in, that are still alive, including the B-teamers like Wild Dog and... Mr. Terrific and Ragman, who really, you know, are are they're B teamers. They're the B list. They've been recruited this year to help out. Basically, Oliver brings them in because all the A listers were off dealing with their own shit. Um, and it has all of the legends. It's got uh, uh, Nate Haywood as Steel. It's got Amaya as Vixen. It's got Heatwave. It's got. Uh, Sarah Lance, it's got Firestorm, it's got the whole team. So everybody on all the shows, they're all together, fighting together, fighting to solve this one problem. Um, And in a lot of ways, I would argue this is what DC TV has always been building towards. Mm. Um, You know, Marvel on Netflix, the plan has always been the Defenders. They envisioned all of the different characters as building towards this Defenders miniseries event. If the shows turned out to be great on their own right, and I would say all of them have, cool. But the plan was always this is the culmination of it, is the Defenders. I thought a year or two ago that Legends of Tomorrow was going to be the culmination of the Arrowverse, but the interviews with Jeff Johns and Greg Berlanti, the show's creators and the actors, 
doesn't really seem like that's the case. It seems like Legends of Tomorrow was an idea somebody came up with on the fly. They basically were told to create a pilot and start writing scripts for a show before it was even fully conceived, and they were kind of just making it up as they go along. Um, and it was sort of a place to put characters who didn't really have a ton that they could really bring to their shows they were on anymore. So you just put them on this other thing and have them go off fighting through time. Um, okay. This is, I'm sorry. I got to interrupt. Yeah. I so, threw a lot at you there. Yeah, you threw a lot at me. Um, so, um, by the way, I just saw in the background really quick the final battle was fucking sweet. Right? So I've now basically <laughs> seen all the episodes other than Supergirl. So I feel a little bit more qualified to talk about it. But I wasn't ignoring you. I was just watching it in the background. So That's fine. Here's what I got to ask you. Really quick back to the comic books, because I'm getting back into comic books, especially Image and some Vertigo comics, as we've talked about. Um, and I actually think comic books, from an artistic standpoint, are in an okay position these days. I can't speak to the mainline DC comics. I don't love a lot of the mainline Marvel comics, but like Black Panther is really good right now, and there's you know occasionally some good Captain America stuff, blah, 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 blah. But my question to you, man, as a Marvel guy growing up and a guy who's reading modern Image and some Vertigo stuff now is... A, does DC do fewer crossovers than Marvel? And then B, does it actually make it more effective? Because one of the things that actually drove me away from comic books was how many crossovers Marvel... It would seem like, even at the time, I could tell that it was a money grab in the early right. 90s you know, to get me to buy the Avengers comic books. And I really didn't... I mean, I read Iron Man, but the Avengers I did not care about. And there, there was one really cool crossover, actually, in the early 90s during the Bosnia conflict where they basically solved the conflict in Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. Uh, together and it was amazing and all you had to buy was like two or three avengers and two or three x-men or whatever and i was already buying the x-men but there's too many crossovers it was too complicated and i'm wondering if it happens less frequently in dc and therefore is more effective go ahead honestly i don't have the hard numbers it seems like dc has been doing one a year since 1985 okay so that's way less earlier. than marvel that's way less than marvel okay. marvel does it multiple times a year i prefer the dc model go ahead but I want to make sure I'm being clear. I'm not talking about people in one comic going to each other's comics. That hap- I mean, that's been going on since the 60s. Um, I'm talking specifically about big events that are essentially billed as company-wide stories, you know, that have six or eight issues that make up the main story. And then every other individual title has some, at least one issue where they have to deal with how this big event is affecting them, how... There was one in the late 90s uh, for DC called Final Night where literally something called the Sun Eater envelops the sun and comes damn close to freezing the Earth. So how does Superman, who gets his powers from the sun, deal with the sun being not available anymore? How does Green Lantern deal with it? How do the Legion of Superhero characters trapped in the 20th century deal with it? And then there's the like six issues of how do they kill the Sun Eater and restart the Sun? Um, you know, how does House of M affect each different character, um, even if it's not the plot of House of M for Marvel? Um, so I don't know who does it more or less. I don't know if it's effective or not. I think some of them do sell a fair number of comics, mm. but but I mean, when you do, they're kind of risky only in yeah, that. It's risky. 
when you ask people to buy a lot of comics, a lot more than they would probably otherwise be buying, and you don't deliver an actually good, interesting story, it really pisses people off. DC had two flops in the last five years. One was called Flashpoint um, that was just utterly pointless. And then last year they moved from New York to California. And in the month that they were making the transition – I think as in part just so that they didn't have to worry about continuity, they did a month-long event called Convergence where they basically had a guy bring representatives from all these different parallel Earths to this planet and have them fight. More or less, it's Secret Wars. Um, but eyes. all of the comic series and the, the six-issue Convergence itself, mm-hmm. all of it was terrible. There was like five good issues out of over 40. And I bought a ton of them, and I really look back at it with anger because of how much money I spent and how little payoff I got. Um, wow. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, I'm the, the, the end of the legends episode here. She gets the thing from Cisco so she can travel back and forth. I, there is some chemistry with her and Oliver, I think. Yeah. Um, and you know how I'm rooting for Jessica to, to, to run the defenders. I'm kind of rooting for, uh, for Supergirl to run the, uh, the, the CW team in the future. I think she's, she's never she's going to. Leader. No, she's never going to, but she's got all the qualifications, I think. Well, yeah, because um, she's Superman. I mean, no, no, but I'm saying, I think morally and intellectually, she's, you know, I mean, we've seen Barry. We thought it could be that guy, but he's still kind of a kid and still making some stupid mistakes. I haven't seen all the Supergirl episodes. It seems like she's a little bit more mature and a little bit more measured when it comes to these sort of decisions. Could be wrong. Um, but back to what you're saying, uh, you know, I, I think what works for DC is that it's based around superheroes as opposed to teams of superheroes. So, like, when I'm reading the X-Men, I don't fucking care about the Avengers because I already have a team, a huge community, and they have their own internal dynamics. And yeah. so I, I, I don't need more characters thrown on top of that. And I think Marvel in the MCU is starting to have to deal with this issue of having an excess of characters. Whereas with DC, you can throw three, you know, you can throw Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman together. And that's already a really interesting dynamic on paper. You They've don't need that. whole it's teams. Trinity. Yeah. And you don't need whole <laughs> teams for that to happen. You know what I'm right. saying? Uh, and, and actually would have been awesome in Batman v Superman if it had been a much better movie, better written, better directed, and better acted. But, you know, <laughs> in theory, I like the idea that, for example, like I said, the interactions between Supergirl and The Flash are awesome. The, the interactions between Flash and Arrow are great. Yeah. You know, it, it's about those individual uh, interactions. And with X-Men, which I grew up on, there were already so many characters with so many personality and so many conflicts, in, inner and outer conflicts. Like, that was enough. And so the crossovers just seemed excessive. Um, and so I really prefer this model. I mean, if, if you look at the, this crossover series on CW, and this is a good time to dive into it, mm-hmm. is that, you know, with all of the characters, and there is that great scene where uh, Supergirl is trying to name everybody, like she's trying to yep. memorize everybody's name, which was really sweet and cute, you know. Um, she's so great. and and But, um, uh, you, you know what I mean? But after that happens... It's basically from Legends, Sarah and, and Ray. Ray? Ray? Is that his name Palmer? Ray Palmer? Yeah, Ray Palmer. Okay. So you have Sarah and Ray from Legends. You have the you know original Team Arrow plus Thea a little bit. 
You have Flash and, and his closest associates, and you have Supergirl, you know? I mean, they mm-hmm. did a great job of involving the side-side-side characters, but really making it about the central relationships. And I think, and this was a thought I had, man, because I was really comparing this all to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in my head, because this is the closest they've come from a structural standpoint, at least on the surface, to what goes on every week on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I think this is so much more affecting and more effective because we've invested in all of these characters separately. So when yeah. they come together, it's way more effective. I think what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. allows me to do, and as I mentioned to you, but I'll, I'll cop to it the Bizzlecast, I'm running out of DVR space, and so I had to start making some tough decisions. Right. And I decided to get rid of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stop recording it, because I know the day it ends next spring, it'll all be on Netflix. And if I really mm-hmm. want to watch it, I can watch it then. Whereas with CW, we've seen, we have no fucking idea when this stuff is available. So I'm going to continue to DVR our era and flash because i really like those two shows but what what shield allows me to do i'm not going to talk for the viewer in general what allows me to do is there's not a whole lot of depth but there's also not a whole lot of corniness and the best parts of arrow and flash are way better than the best parts of agents of shield but the corniest parts of arrow and flash are way cornier than the the arrow and shield and and to bring this discussion into this crossover i will point to the arrow episode which is between the action-packed episodes of flash and legends um for this crossover and the whole flashback of him revisiting his past. Now, you can talk about how that was the 100th episode of mm-hmm. Arrow. And so I, I, I'm totally down with that. But I, I, I would say that, you know, what these team-ups show is that they really could do many episodes in a row without super cheesiness. And I don't know why they feel like they need to have huggy stuff happening all the time. Um, and so I, I, I really enjoyed this crossover. Do you think it's going to go back to the formula that they, they were using before? Well, I certainly think if the ratings bear this out, and so far they have, I mean, Flash, the Flash ep- part of this crossover was the highest rated uh, episode this season, and I think it's the highest rated one in almost a year and a half. The Arrow episode hit a season high with its you know, the part three of this crossover. So clearly people are interested in watching these large things, kind of, these large event kind of TV things. So I think they are definitely going to try this again. For all I know, they'll do it again this season or at least a, a smaller version of it. But I certainly think next year they will plan to do this again, you know, and maybe the year after, you know, for however much longer all these shows are on the air together, um, probably two to three years, I would say, and then we'll start to see some of them fading away. I mean, unless they kill Arrow after this year, just because it's, it's kind of concluded its five-year arc. Um, so I, I would defend the corniness as I love the corny moments and I love the deep moments. I like something that is not afraid to be self-aware of how corny it is and just go whole hog for it. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I have... Think- complimented the flash repeatedly on gorilla grod and king shark who are respectively a telepathic gorilla and a half man that's different that's campiness that's different than corniness that's campiness that's a completely different thing i'm completely on board with campiness i'm talking about cheesy love stuff with with piano music and lots of unnecessary hugging and so and so forth to reinforce relationships that we know already exist yeah, I think Arrow has actually gotten away from that to its 
benefit in this current season. I think they maybe over relied on that last year, but I think they've pretty much gotten away from it at this point. Um, and I think, yeah, flash flash season three has not been its strongest year. And, and that's one of the reasons why, but I don't mind interpersonal stuff. If I buy it, if I think it's heartfelt, if I think it's earned, I think what you're talking about is more of a sense of unearned or unbelievable, uh, unbelievable, uh, over-reliance on these kind of interpersonal dynamics. But I buy Alex and Kara together enough as sisters yeah. that I don't mind that they talk about their feelings with each other because I, I buy that that's what their relationship is. Um, I don't think it's unearned in the sense that it doesn't ring true. I think the word I would use is gratuitous. Yeah, maybe. Um, if you watch week after week. Now... Maybe they are aiming to please people who only watch four, five, six episodes a season and random episodes. No, they're aiming to please people who they expect they want. Well, people then I don't know people. why I don't know why the Wests have to be hugging all the time and so forth, and the, why the Queens have to be hugging all the time. It, it, it makes zero sense to me. Um, I, the Queens I, don't I, hug all that much anymore, and yeah, the Wests do it too much. I mean, I, I think. It's spinning its wheels a little bit. I, I just said I think Flash season three has not been its strongest season so far, and it might rebound. But I mean, I, I think this crossover has been some of the best Flash content of the year, um, and I think the fact that it got such a big ratings boost probably bears that out a little yeah. bit. Okay, uh, so let's jump into the good parts of the crossover, and then we can wrap right. it up. The good for me. The best action scenes in Flash and then Legends look so much better than I thought possible. Yeah. That the semi-inorganic and robotic movements of the aliens compared to, like, the Chitauri or something, Mm -hmm. which is, like, a thousand times the budget of this, did not bother me at all. And, in fact, the close-ups on the aliens, when you're not worried about three-dimensionality but just texture, look awesome. Yeah, it's I think only can, when you see huge swaths of them moving around that it looks, you know, uh, 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 like they're. Let's put it this way: I'm glad that they reached past what they could achieve, and I think they were aware of that, and they were like, "Fuck it, we're just going to go for it." And and uh, the movement. Oh, this is what I want to bring about Supergirl, man. Her flying is spectacular. You yeah, know her flying I, looks great, right? Oh, so good. Even before the aliens, it looks great. But with the aliens, I mean, you know, I talk about how I love the visions flying. Um, and of course, Iron Man is flying in, in the Avengers. Her flying is so naturalistic looking. It's really, yeah. really convincing. If, and if it, it already looks better than the Superman flying in the movies. And this is a thought that I just want to throw out that we don't have to talk about. I wish Marvel would stop making TV shows and just make movies, and I wish DC <laughs> would stop making movies and just make TV shows. But that being said, I thought the action scenes were extremely kinetic. You know, I was rushing to watch these shows uh, leading up to this podcast. The, I was really, really thrilled by the sort of the really all of, but especially the second half of the Flash episode. I mean, that mm-hmm. was thrilling action. I, I thought that action was better than anything in Doctor Strange, personally. I thought it was better than anything in Doctor Strange. That was the best I've seen since the airport battle in Civil War, I thought. And we've talked about how this universe at its best is not the MCU, but it's closer than maybe you might think based on its budget and being on the CW. So you can can go any which way with that. Yeah, I I mean, I I agree with you. 
There are also, when you watch that fight scene, the final fight scene in Legends of Tomorrow, yes. there are a lot of things that certainly look like they these people all watched the Avengers and Captain America Civil that War. That did look through the Battle of New York a little bit, but I don't care. It was fucking glorious. No, I don't care either. Yeah. For one, the CW shows do not wash out the color palette of their characters nope. at all. And even Marvel well, at its best. not during it, the action scenes. During the drama scenes, there's a little too much yes. light. But yeah, but during the action scenes, it's, it's beautifully lit. You know, and, and people have said, and I agree, that even when the MCU is at its best, it can look a little bit like a washed out color palette. Um, you know, it, it's certainly more colorful than, say, the Batman v Superman. But I, I think really in terms of vibrancy, you know, that fight scene at the end of Legends is just gorgeous, and it's eye-catching. I mean, you don't care that the CGI is not as good as the Chitari because the budget is probably, you know, 5% um, or, or, you know, 10% of, of whatever Joss Whedon had to work with uh, because it's just so fun and colorful to watch. Um, one thing I did like is yeah. one area where they actually toned the color down a little bit is – the Dominators don't quite look like that in right. the comics. They Terrible name, by the way. Who cares? Yeah, I, I don't... Who knows? They were invented in the 80s. In the comics... But, but, but I'm sorry are, to interrupt really quickly. Yeah. But that's a perfect example of CW not overthinking it. Right. And being like, we know this is campy. So right. let's just go with what's in the fucking comic books. It's going to be campy anyway. So why th- overthink this? I like that they don't overthink stuff on the CW network. I really do. Yeah. And I, I think maybe uh, Cisco makes a joke about how that's a crappy name or something like that. Because yeah. that's, you know, his shtick. No, Brandon Routh goes, and we're going to dominate them or something like that. And then he goes, well, oh, good <laughs> joke. Yeah. Tomorrow, you want to talk about campiness. Yes. And Legend to Tomorrow in that end fight, he drops a dude and actually says something like, see you later, Dominator, which. <laughs> I mean, oh, I don't know what Brandon writer Ralph. came up with that, but somebody uh, must have been like, save that. We're going to use that at some point. Totally. Um, you know, this is something I wanted to throw out there. Just it's yeah. an aside thought. Go. In the comics, I don't think the Dominators were intentionally designed to be this way, but their look is a little questionable because they have bright yellow skin. They have big red circles on their foreheads. They have slit eyes and they have a caste system. Their society is a caste society. They look like aliens from, like, Dead Space or Resistance if, for you video gamers out there. They look like horror characters, and I really like that. Yeah, but they also... I don't think they were designed this way, but it would be very easy to look at that image and think it's drawing on general Western fears of Eastern of East Asian characteristics. Mm. You have the red circle. You have casts. Oh, wow. You have totally uh, slanted eyes. Um, you have the foreign invading force. And when you think about the way that Asian society was portrayed in the media in the eighties and nineties, where it's kind of like I think you're reaching on this for- one a little bit, buddy. I'm not going to lie. I did not detect any of that whatsoever. Well, it's not present in how they they were animated for this show. But I could see a scenario in which somebody on the web would look at that and think, oh, these guys are trying to stir up anti-Asian sentiment, and then they would just be in a mud fight about PR. So they decided to scale back the color a little bit, change up the circles a little bit, and just skewer the look a little bit to make it look a little less on the edge of maybe racial or race or like a racial caricature or taking elements from that. I'm – 
I am overthinking this. I don't think when yes, the characters were designed by Todd McFarlane. You accuse McFarlane, me of this all the time, so I'm going to accuse you of it briefly right. here because no, no, no. you accuse me of it all the time. My and, point and you're right, is, usually, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate uh, that acknowledgement. Um, I, no, I, what I'm saying is I, I wonder if somebody didn't think, could this come back to bite us if we went hardcore with how – Todd McFarlane drew them. The, the, the and, point is, the point is, they didn't look that much worse than the Chitari, and that's a huge compliment. No. Yeah, and they had less screen time and were doing less. I mean, the the Edin, the Legends of Tomorrow fight is about eight minutes long. the The battle for New York is about twenty minutes long. So, you know, they had very little time to hit a home run, and whether if they didn't hit a home run, they hit a triple. I mean, and oh, yeah. Triples are what you should expect when you're watching network TV because um, it's hard to really deliver a special effects home run with these uh, kind of budgets. Uh, 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 this is random. I'm going to throw it out there because I like randomness. One of my favorite lines from, from uh, uh, music is Pearl Jam's song where they say, they're talking about George Bush, and they say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was born on third and thinks he hit a triple. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we can say that about a current president, whatever. We don't have to go there. Um, so, but let me ask you, man. Our president-elect. Yeah. So, okay. But back, back to the corny factor. Right. Which, again, I, I don't mind in principle. I just have trouble sitting through because I'm so impatient. Yeah. Um, which is... I always talk about Battlestar. It's only because the amount of shows that you and I have watched together from beginning to end mm-hmm. is basically Battlestar and now Orphan Black and then Breaking Bad and Jessica Jones and Daredevil, right? right? I mean, that's pretty much it. But and Firefly. One, and Firefly. Oh, quick, sorry. I just totally maxed out the mic there. I'm going to record that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, so um, tease to the audience. Bizzlecast TV is coming back in force. I have a bunch of stuff I haven't released, including the uh, Battlestar miniseries. Matt and I, I think, are going to do the two-hour... Well, it's not actually two hours without commercials, but the the, uh, the double episode... uh, pilot for Firefly together, which I'm really, really excited about. But another show that we don't talk enough about, unless there's a specific episode about this, is Star Trek The Next Generation, mm-hmm. which is also a very campy show at times. Yep. Also sure. has some weak special effects um, at times, if not always, um, and has corny moments. But because of Patrick Stewart and the way he delivers it, it's always really digestible when it comes to like a learning a moral lesson. And I think the lack of hugging in piano music really helps. You know, you, you know, you know that there's going to be a point in every STG, um, uh, TNG episode where Patrick Stewart gives his moral of the week, right? Probably sitting behind his desk. Probably sitting behind Possibly his desk. Possibly holding a piece of architect, yeah, a piece of archeo- right. an archaeological far- object. Or, or walking to get uh, tea, Earl Grey, hot. Hot, um, yeah. But because of the, the way they frame it, it's just, I think, a little bit more easy to digest because they're all adults and they're dealing with moral issues and not really emotional issues. And people could say, well, that's sort of part of what makes Star Trek superficial is it's adults and they're not really dealing with emotional issues. And that's what made the original Star Trek reboot with the Kirk-Spock relationship, I think, in 2009 so amazing is that they did work in some incredibly affecting and relatable and three-dimensional emotional issues in addition to the sort of Star Trek um, 
uh, moral issues. And so I just wish that, you know, Flash and Arrow in those shows w- would do that a little bit more often. I don't really mind, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, you know, I know people who are uh, like sort of dark comic book people who who'd still love the CW shows. So this is just a personal taste thing. Yeah. I, um, uh, so let me ask you really quick, because we talked about the action and we talked about different stuff. Let's talk about the Arrow episode real quick. Okay. I did not like it. But I think the reason I didn't like it actually did not have to do with the corniness of revisiting, and I was actually psyched to see his parents again and everything. I mm-hmm. thought that was really cool that they got the cameos from those two great actors who have been in a yeah. million things and who are awesome. By the way, talk about a cock tease, season four, Jerry Ryan, in like the second episode. I'm like, oh my god, they're bringing Jerry Ryan into Arrow. Nope, she runs for mayor, they try and kill her, and she leaves, and that's the only episode she's in. But oh, right, I totally forgot about that. Exactly, she looks amazing and she's acting amazing, and I, I'm a big fan of Jerry Ryan, so I was, I was a little disappointed about that. But, um, but so it was great to see his parents again. I love the thing is for me the Oliver Thea um, huggy stuff works well because I have a younger sister that I'm very close with, right? Um, and so I, that's the most relatable to me. Um, and I actually buy their chemistry more than anyone else's chemistry on any of the shows. Uh, well, let me ask you this before I keep talking. <laughs> so I'm going to put that as my thesis, and you can argue for or against it. I think the Thea Oliver stuff, when it's written well and in the right context, to me is the most compelling of the huggy relationships between brother, sister, friends, parents, kids, and so forth. Is there another relationship that you find as or more compelling in any of the shows? Up until this year, I would say you were right. I would honestly put Kara and Alex Danvers against uh, against uh, Thea and Oliver. I, this Danvers? season, I really think that di- that relationship at the core of the show has elevated the show to Alex Danvers. Who's that? Kara's sister. I've talked about it repeatedly. Oh, Alex, Alex. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. She's, she's a really interesting actress. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, made her bones on Grey's Anatomy, which I never yeah. watched, so I don't know what yeah. to make of that. Okay, but. well, let's talk about... Let's just stick to the the Flash Arrow universe, because she's in her own universe. Right. We can throw Legends of Tomorrow into there. I, I think Sarah has great chemistry with everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I think Sarah brings up both her dad and her sister when mm-hmm. she gets a chance, because Katie Lotz is so talented and, and just... A, Really relatable, you know, and that's what I was trying to say earlier on about Melissa Beno, uh, Bena- Benoist. Uh, Benoist. Benoist. She's so relatable, you know. She totally feels like, you know, and I'm someone who has a lot of platonic female friends, and that's sort of where I'm coming from. I don't want to be misunderstood here that, like, uh, you know, like JJ, for example, like, like I, I love Kristen Rinna, I love Trish. Um, as as like someone like I would love to be friends with because I, I have a lot of close female friends right. and, and I, I I you know and so I really relate to that and and Benoist is like that I think um, I kind of have a crush on Willa Holland so that's not really a fair comparison I do genuinely have a crush on her I know she's great um, but um, but yeah but oh, yeah so well, anyways go ahead you want you want to talk about the uh, the, the the Alex um uh um. God, I'm I'm losing all these names. There's so many characters in the crossover. Yeah, no, I've said everything I have to say about them. I think that relationship is really, really strong. The only other one that I think is kind of interesting—they're not brothers. 
uh, they're not related, but the Snart and uh, Mick, uh, the, the Captain Colt. They said he was dead. Yeah, he's dead. But he's coming back next episode of Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, because I saw the preview and it looks like he's coming back, yeah. Yeah, when they interact so with each good. other, especially when you see them team up in Flash in the the first season of Flash, the way they they don't like each other, but Snart is very obviously protective of him all the same. Their relationship with each other I find is very fascinating. Mm. Um, I don't know that I would say it's as strong as Thea and Oliver, and they sure as shit don't hug ever. Uh, but I maybe the two of them just have good chemistry with they each other. They were chemistry. both on Prison Break together, Dominic Purcell and Wentworth Miller. Oh, so they know that. each other's acting style, like person, you know, acting talent really well. Um, you know, they're actually friends in real life. Uh, so maybe that helps. But I think that's um, some of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, brother-sister stuff is so hard to pull off. Um, and, th- you know, I'm a huge defender of Ultron. Um, but what people... You know this, because we've talked about it, but what some people don't realize online or friends of mine who have, you know, casually seen it and don't love it, whatever, is that the things I defend about Ultron are not the things people complain about, you know? Like, I don't... Te- like, even though I do like Ultron as a villain, that's not my main reason why I love the movie and the thing I defend... Right. I just think Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen, I really buy them as twin brother and sister in that movie. They really do a great job the way they touch each other and hold each other. And it's never like sexual or weird. It really feels (laughs) like a brother sister thing. Oliver and Thea, I feel the same way. Now I just saw a movie called the, uh, um, which is getting highly acclaimed and deserves it called the edge of 17. Right. With Haley Steinfeld, who was nominated as a kid. I mean, she's still a kid. She's 19. But she was nominated for... True Grit. Uh, True Grit, yep, as a young actress. And she was she the... She was great in True Grit. I, you, might, you might scoff at this, but you know I love these movies. And she was absolutely brilliant comedically in Pitch Perfect 2 as sort of a co-lead with Anna Kendrick. Oh, she yeah, was sort of the, she was in that. Yeah, she was sort of the new girl. Um, and her, her mom is pl- her her Jewish mom is played by Katie Siegel. Uh, for those married with children fans uh, from back in the day, who looks amazing and is still uh, she's on the Big Bang Theory now actually, and she was she was the, one of the leads of. Uh, uh, what's that show? Anarchy, Sons of Anarchy, um, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah. Sons of Anarchy. Anyways, point being, Haley Seinfeld is a brilliant young comedic actress um, and a dramatic actress, and was excellent in it. And there's a great brother sister dynamic, but the casting was not quite right. He looked a little too old to be, you know, a senior in high school. She was playing her age, basically, maybe a year or two younger, and. It didn't harm the movie. I laughed my ass off. Woody Harrelson is so good. I mean, their relationship, he's like a lazy history teacher that she just identifies with because she's an outcast um, or a self-proclaimed outcast. was really, really funny. So I'm really into great brother-sister relationships. I love Luke Leia. You know me. I've been calling for more Luke Leia. I'm praying in episode eight for Luke Leia stuff. You know, I love those relationships. And so for um, Stephen Amell and Willa Holland to pull that off, I think is very impressive. I never sure. don't believe that they're brother and sister. And for me, that's half the battle it, for the entire show is those two, you know? And then you throw in, um, and maybe this will be a good way of wrapping up, is kind of where you rank in your own mind the shows. I think you, you probably still have Flash at the top. 
And and you, I think you sort of want Arrow to end, and I can kind of see it even now. I don't want Arrow to end. Oh, no, you do want Arrow to end. Well, I'm in, no, I'm, in, I, I'm in season four of Arrow, and I could sort of see it ending after five seasons or six seasons. Um, yeah, five is way better than four. I the Flash is my favorite character, so that show is always going to have a specific place in my heart. Sure, but in terms of what I think are the best executed this season, I think Supergirl and Arrow are better than Flash. Legends of Tomorrow is still really, really up or down. The crossover episode of Legends of Tomorrow is probably the best episode of Legends of Tomorrow that there's been so far. I mean, which isn't uh, even really a Legends of Tomorrow episode. It's a giant. No, team, but it's team mostly up. them. Um, yeah, I love I love their little uh, um, uh, Quinjet that they have or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> um, Wave Rider, which is an Easter egg. Yeah. Well, uh, you know my Rider. theory. They should. I, I mean, is Brandon Routh a co lead with with uh, with Katie Lotz? Because he he should be if he's not already. I, I don't know that they they break the cast down that way. I feel like Brandon Routh and Katie Lotz probably get the most screen time. Uh, and uh, Franz Drama, who plays Jax, uh, get, you know, one half of Firestorm, probably gets the least. In terms of acting chops, Victor Garber is probably the best actor on that show just because he's been doing it for, God, 40 freaking years at this point, I would guess. Um, Wait, is he the professor? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's good. Yeah, Victor Garber has been around forever. Yeah. I mean, and I think he's a trained stage actor. I mean, he... You know his his CV is beyond reproach. Mm. Um, so that's really interesting. So, all right. So hypothetically, if I'm midway through Arrow season four, which you didn't like that season, should I just skip it and go right to five because I have them all DVR'd? Ah, uh, no, you should watch it. I should watch it. Um, okay, good. Because so far, I like it. You know, it's not amazing, but at least it's going a little bit back to the dark side. A little, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's not so much. He, oh, Did you ever get oh. to the episode with Constantine? No, that's I'm still I'm still I'm, I apologize. Right. That's still I mean, the next episode. Yes, um, but uh, to be fair, I have neglected Vikings and Homeland and all the other shows that I used to like as well because I, I just can't get into TV. But Arrow is definitely going to be there. I will say this, man. I've said this to you off mic, or at least I've written this to you, and I really believe this after seeing the Flash episode of the crossover, the invasion crossover, which is. I wish they had some of the Flash writers write for Arrow and <laughs> vice versa, because Flash could really, really could use a little bit more darkness in terms of character stuff, not in terms of themes or, or plot. And but even more so, <laughs> in the Flash Arrow crossover episodes, especially the ones that are quote unquote Flash, <laughs> Oliver and Thea. And Dig, especially, are so much more hilarious and relatable and human and funny. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know why they can't add some of that self-referential, self-deprecating humor to Arrow. It would really up that show. And that's already my favorite of the CWs, but that would really up the show. And and this was just felicity. Can I just finish this thought real quick? Yeah. Which is that. Arrow's my favorite because of Amel and Will Holland and a couple other people and just because I like the darker stuff. But I think the writing on Flash is better at its best than Arrow is at its best, just from a sheer dialogue standpoint, especially humor. Go ahead. Yeah, I I think up until this year, I think the Flash writing has definitely been superior in part because – 
in the first two seasons of Flash, you didn't have episodes where they just seemed to be returning to the same two or three themes and beating them to death over and over and over again. You have gotten more of that specifically with this whole, I changed history, I ruined everybody's life, I'm all mopey, everybody's all mopey. They, they keep beating the same themes over and over and over again this season, and I think it's, it's not good. Whereas I think Arrow has actually gotten away from that a little bit, but I think Arrow definitely the writing at times was just like one or two ideas that they would bash you over the head with. Uh, you know, you'd have Oliver moping for six or seven or eight straight episodes just about the same. I, I take the weight of everything on to me. You know, I I'm never going to be happy. It said everybody I know dies, etc. To the point that's kind of like okay, you made your point, move on. Flash didn't do that up until this season. Arrow has actually, I think, gotten away from that this season. And I think it's one of the reasons Arrow has leapfrogged Flash in execution this uh, this season. I think this is the season that's kind of flipped a little bit. I think Flash was actually stronger than Arrow the first two years Flash was out. But I think Arrow has retaken the lead. Yeah, I... I and don't uh, Flash fans out there don't take this the wrong way, and the Flash actors don't take this the wrong way. But when Flash is great, it's usually because the writing is really good and the actors nail it. And whereas Arrow, it's often a Mal and company bringing up the material because of their acting skill. And that's not a comment about lack of acting skill on, on Flash. I'm just saying the best Flash material is better than the best Arrow material. And I, I don't know why. And I looked this up by the way, man specifically for the crossover, but in general. And the people who wrote the Flash episode are the same people who write a ton of Flash episodes. And the people who wrote the Arrow episode are the same people who wrote a ton of the Arrow episode. Now, there's some crossover with Legends of Tomorrow, obviously. But yeah. it, it, it's clear so to me... Writing team wrote the yes. Arrow episode of the crossover, yep. and the same with the Flash. Okay, yep, yeah. And, and well, let me just finish the thought, which is that it's clear to me that the best fl- the best Flash writers can write Arrow better than most of the Arrow writers. Is is I guess where I'm trying to go to. Um, I think so. I'd be curious to know if it's those so teams haven't swapped writers at one point. I mean, I, I think what helps Not both much. shows out is that the characters have very the actors have very strong chemistry with each other i think the arrow team they all really sync up really well with each other um uh, certainly thea oliver and uh felicity i think team arrow has better chemistry than team flash it just all things being equal i think the um F- flash cisco caitlin and Harrison Wells, whichever Harrison Wells it is, because there's three different ones, um, technically four, whatever that happened, whichever one that happens to be, those four have really great chemistry with each other. I think uh, Candace Patton is does a decent job, but isn't spectacular. Not her fault. Not her fault. And I think the guy who plays Joe West is okay. Not his um, fault either, yeah. You know, and I think one of the things that's worked really well about Supergirl this year is the chemistry between those characters is much stronger. You know, I uh, it's I don't know who plays Wins Shot, the sort of Toy Man Junior, but I think it's David Harewood plays John Jones, and he is really great as kind of this paternalistic figure for 
Kara and Alex. I think Makad Brooks does a great job as Jimmy Olsen. Um, I think Callista Flockhart uh, was great as Cat Grant, and she's off the show now mostly because they they moved filming locations, and she didn't want to leave LA, and it probably was hard to pay her to be a regular on a CW budget. Um, but she interacted. I mean, she chewed up scenery with those characters. So all of those shows, except legends funny for the most part, the chemistry is really, really strong. And it, that's where I think makes it easier to elevate decent or even, you know, just okay. Writing is when the people all get along and that comes through. I think, uh, that, that always helps. I think one of the problems with legends is the chemistry isn't quite right, that they don't, quite all look like they 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 match up together they all kind of look like they're off doing their own thing a little bit um so i mean look this this is what it comes down to to me you know i'm a big fan of great actors pulling up the material as we talked about there will be blood is a movie that both of us love but Mm -hmm. that movie would be above average with an above average actor but it's spectacular because of daniel day lewis right Grant Who Gustin, makes everything spectacular. Yeah. Grant Gustin is about 25, 26 years old. He's 26. Yeah. Stephen Amell is my age, almost exactly. He's 35. 34 or something like that? He's 35. 35? Yeah. He's like a few months older than me. He's 35. And so, unsurprisingly, and as it should be, Stephen Amell is better at bringing up mediocre material than Grant Gustin. And that's just how it's going to be, especially because female actresses, like females in general, tend to mature a lot faster than men. So the fact that Grant Gustin is such a mature actor at Mm -hmm. his age is really amazing. You know, most good, great female actresses, you know, uh, or any, you know, like, I mean, Natalie Portman or Scarlett Johansson, they tend to get good in their mid-20s. A late twenties and get better. Most male uh, actors, you know, guys like Gosling and and so forth, they they tend to actually only get good in their thirties and they continue to get better, but it takes longer for them. So the fact that Gustin is so good at his age with the amount of responsibility that he has is extremely impressive to me. But I wonder if Arrow writers tend to get a little lazy because they know Amel can bring up the material. Um, I don't want to accuse anyone of anything, but uh, I'm just being realistic here. I. I, I mean, I'm sure they probably count on him to be able to bring a certain degree of execution to their script. I mean, they've been working with him for five years now. They know what they have in him. Yeah. Um, and Melissa Be- uh, Benoist is, uh, I think, yeah, 28th. Yeah, she's 28, yeah. So she's sort of, uh, for a female actress, she's right in that prime spot. So she's, yeah. she's right where she needs to be. Um, and this will be maybe my final big question, and then we can do a couple fun things and sign off. My final big question is, looking forward, and we kind of know the answer, uh, Bizzlecast listeners, if you've been listening to this podcast and other ones about CW. And by the way, thank you everyone for listening. And I just want to point out that not only have all of our podcasts together, for the most part, been really successful, but the ones we've done about DC and CW have been really at the top of all the podcasts. I mean, our best CW and DC podcast, there's at least two or three that are even higher than like the Avengers commentary, which I never would have expected. Um, so that's, I think we're filling kind of a, a spot out there that as we've talked about, there's not a lot of nerd podcasts talking about this stuff. So I would ask you, um, mm-hmm. going forward, which of the series that you see lasting more than another season or so? Are there any that haven't reached their, 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 
their peak yet that have more to go? Are there any that are sort of on their, the, you know, a downward spiral? Um, and then, and to build on that, the sort of 1A is where do you see the CW universe going from here? Because this was a pretty successful crossover, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, it's set season record ratings for all three of its shows that they have they don't have the overnight numbers yet for legends but supergirl also was a season best i mean arrows episode was the highest rated since the last year's crossover with flash i mean these things at least for now people might eventually get tired of them but for now they are a cool enough gimmick that people tune in for them so i certainly think they're going to do this again next year I think you will see characters show up in each other's ones. You know, there was an episode of Flash last year where they beat up somebody named Deathbolt, I think, and the Atom just happens to show up. Or maybe it's an Arrow episode and and Cisco just shows up randomly. Um, but there's a scene where you know he and the Atom are just geeking out about making up a name. Um, so. I don't know how long any of these shows are going to stay on the air. My hunch is Legends is the one that's probably going to get the axe first just because I don't quite see what the long-term point of it is. And all of these characters could go back to other shows. I mean, if you ended The Flash and you kept the universe going, you would have one of the most powerful characters in it as what? A guest spot on arrow i mean it's a real question of if you don't end this all at once what do you do with the major characters um unless you kill them which they might do i mean they might do they've killed oliver queen has died once in the comics and and then come back to life in a kevin smith uh written series that i think was called quiver Um, but it was a big deal when they killed him off he gets blown up in a plane basically Barry Allen dies at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which they have been hinting at since the pilot for The Flash. And mm-hmm. I think they will do at some point. And maybe they don't kill him off permanently, but maybe they buy themselves a year without The Flash on the air and then they bring him back right. um, or, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And Supergirl is kind of her own <clears throat> thing. And I think Supergirl is going to go strong for a couple of years now. If you get rid of Legends nobody is really going to be wondering, well, how can you have flash without firestorm? Nobody's really going to, no one cares. You could bring white canary onto arrow every, you know, twice a season and people won't really, really like be crying for more Katie lots, even Mm -hmm. though I think she's a good actress and has done a good job with that character. By the way, really quickly, the Arrow Invasion episode has a 9.6 on IMDb, which makes it the second highest rated ever Arrow episode. So um, there you go. What was number one? Uh, number one is The Climb, season three, episode nine. Oh, yeah. That's a fantastic episode. That's mm-hmm. That might be the best that show has ever been. That's the uh, fight with Ra's al Ghul in the snow. Yep. Uh, that I mean, that's terrific mm-hmm. also very heavily drawing on a batman versus Razal ghoul fight where he's shirtless and they're fighting in the desert um but yeah. that's a great episode so i, I it's well that's why i think arrow that. that's why i think arrow will end up going the longest i'm not saying it'll have many more seasons it already has a huge lead on the other ones in terms of being season five yeah but because it's dark and because it's ground level and the whole daredevil thing i i, I it, it seems more sustainable because if nothing else you can have steven amell being awesome felicity being hilarious and great hand-to-hand combat 
and Flash speeding around all over the place is going to get old after a while. I would think. I would think. It's not getting old for me, but, you know, it's not as gritty as, as hand-to-hand combat. Oh, by the, way, layer, so. by the way, by the way, during the fight scenes in in this crossover, but especially the Flash one, they made excellent use of bullet time. I thought, yeah. um, you know, uh, it, it, there's a difference between slow motion and bullet time, and it mm-hmm. has to do completely with execution. And I thought the bullet time stuff with Supergirl and Flash in particular was really, really spectacular. Yeah, definitely. So, um, oh no, go ahead. So. I was also going to say it's yes. cheaper to uh, and yes. to probably shoot the arrow than flash because you don't well, have to it's rely not that so it's much cheaper, on CGI. But it's that your money goes further in terms of a visceral standpoint. Like yeah, and you probably don't quite need to get the same advertising revenue return on investment. Oh, speaking of which, I love that not only were they advertising uh, Star Wars Rogue One during all these shows, which is hilarious. Disney doesn't give a fuck; they're total whores. But. Um, Five people run all media. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I thought the uh, Final Fantasy synergy that they're trying to do is pretty cool for the new Final Fantasy game. Sure. Um, video game advertisers are extreme, and I know people in this industry are extremely conscious of where because they want to advertise a lot, but they want it to be targeted. And it right. seems obvious that you would target the CW audience, but mm-hmm. you know, like it, they, they they seem the video game uh, advertisers seem to target CW more than the Agents of Shield thing or whatever. Maybe it's just less expensive because it's on CW. That's very possible. But I like that they sort of had a synergy going there. I love the sure. Final Fantasy games. I thought that was really cool. Um, and they were definitely promoting, which you wouldn't know because you don't watch a lot of this stuff day to day. But they were heavily promoting that there would be sneak peeks of Final Fantasy 15 in the crossover. So the idea that they were, you know, that wasn't by accident. That was, we are specifically going to try to do this. So I didn't think the previews looked all that good. They were mostly these kids that are supposed to be real people, which is not what I care about with Final Fantasy. Not that I've played one of those since the first one. Oh, yeah. But, um... Final Fantasy is never as good as you think it's going to be, but it ends up being immersive because of the game design so good. I'm I just think saying, some of the games know. have been great. I, yes. I just I twelve I don't was own a amazing, console, so I don't play yeah. any of them. The final one on the PS2, uh, Final Fantasy twelve, is one of the best games ever. Um, Final Fantasy seven, which came out when we were younger, but they've they've redone is excellent. So yeah, seven uh, is one of the best. Three yeah, but, is, yeah. or I guess it was six, but we think of it as three. The Super Nintendo one yep. is thought of as. Yep pretty spectacular i still have my old ds i you know i don't really use it much except when i have like a really long plane flight i i i might bring it just in case um but the the original like four final fantasy games are really really good um mm-hmm. and uh but what i like about the as cheesy as the effects were at certain times it never felt like a video game like it, it really like cw really made their mark with the way they executed the special effects and the money that they had and the budget that they had, I thought, and that to me, again, you know, the creative vision, and this is where as many disagreements as we have, I think the one thing we agree with is, is the creative vision execution is so much more important than the budget and you know, how it looks and so forth um, in terms of affecting you, right? As, as a viewer. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to run through a real quick timeline and then we're going to predict the future and then we're going to sign off. You ready? Okay. Okay. So in 2008, Iron Man was released, as was The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight way outgrossed Iron Man, but Iron Man did way better than anyone thought. 
In 2010, Iron Man 2 came out and was not good at all, as you and I and most people would agree, and still made a ton of money. Okay. In 2011, you had Cap, you had Thor, and you had The Incredible Hulk, two of which did pretty well. Incredible Hulk didn't do so well. The other two did pretty well. But 2012 was the big year because you had The Avengers and you had The Dark Knight Rises. And though The Avengers way outperformed Dark Knight Rises, they both made over a billion dollars. And in 2012, it seemed like the comic book genre was unstoppable, right? I mean, I don't right. know if you can remember, but like it, it seemed unstoppable at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what else happened in 2012? Well, a little show called Arrow got launched on CW yeah. to great acclaim. And it was dark, and it was gritty, and it was very comic-y at the same time. And then in 2013, you had S.H.I.E.L.D., in 2014, The Flash came out. 2015, Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow came out. And here we are in 2016. And I ask you, man, if we have movies, and then we've got network shows, and we've got Netflix, and I think we can agree Marvel's dominating the movies, although DC's doing better than they should based on the quality of the movies, whatever. <laughs> Um, and probably Marvel's actually also doing slightly better than the quality of the movies, so it's fair to say. I think Network, we can agree, artistically, the CW shows are better. You know, yeah. Agent Carter didn't make it. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is, is lackluster. Even if they have a bigger budget, who cares? And Netflix, obviously, uh, even though I really don't love the Daredevil series, I can't get through Luke Cage other than JJ. I'm really not excited for the Defenders universe at this point. Most people are and think that it's Mm -hmm. good and they've been critically acclaimed. So my question is to you, man, if you had to project, say, five years down the road, do you think Mm -hmm. we still have comic book properties from these, at least the two main comic book companies on all these different media? Do you see one surpassing the other? Like, where where do you see it going from here? Because the crossover stuff shows that you can get a kind of cinematic effect, even on on a network TV uh, format. Yeah, I mean, five years, I would say there's absolutely still going to be a fair amount of superhero content. Ten years, maybe not. Uh, Assuming we're not all dead. Yeah. Um. Where I think this is probably going to go, and maybe this is just me projecting what I kind of would want to see happen, Marvel will keep making movies. I mean, I think they'll keep the MCU going for a while yet. They will keep up some version of this Netflix thing that they, you know, they're going to, now we're, you know, we're going to get Punisher. So now we're going to have a fifth Netflix original series. And, you know, if somebody cool emerges out of Iron Fist or out of Defenders, maybe that's the sixth one. I'm Moon Knight or whatever. There's a million Marvel characters. There are more Marvel TV shows coming. There's going to be one for Freeform called Cloak and Dagger. I don't know anything about that other than that it's happening. Um, I don't quite understand how much it's going to be caught, like be actually in the MCU. It may just be a Marvel show. Right. Um, I think the DCEU will collapse. I think hmm. they will s- continue to make television. I don't know that this group will still be around, but I think they will always be trying to find ways to bring more DC characters to TV. But I think we are pretty quickly going to go back to a state where we have a k- disparate movies of one or two characters that don't have anything to do with the other ones. So we may... Somebody's always going to try to make a Superman movie or a Batman movie, but we may not, after the collapse of the DCEU, have 
Batman and Superman and Flash and Aquaman and all these people together working towards crossover movies, basically, you know, big event movies, you know, phase movies that cap the phases the way the Marvel movies have, you know, Avengers as the capstone to each phase. Um, and then I don't honestly know what is happening, going to happen with Fox. I, I honestly think Fox may just sell the rights to X-Men back to Marvel and just be done with the whole damn thing. Although, I mean, they're doing a TV show in the X universe coming out on FX in January called Legion about uh, Xavier's son, I guess. And it's going to be done by the people who did the Fargo TV show. And You know what? If it I mean, wasn't some Fox, of the best TV. If it wasn't Fox, I'd be really excited about it because it's actually a really cool concept and property in the comic books. But I just have zero and faith FX, in them at this I, point. Yeah, but it's not them. It's FX. And FX is... Can, it's owned got by Fox, some, isn't it? It is. But if it's got the if it gets the FX treatment, FX right now probably has the best slate Dope. of prestige shows oh, across time. the board. Yep. It also has American Horror Story, which yep. is trash. Atlanta. But I'll overlook that because the Americans is amazing. Yep. Atlanta, which I still haven't watched, neither, but, but everybody yeah. says it's amazing. You know, American Crime Story won every Emmy it could win. I mean, FX has really, really stepped up as I would put it above HBO, which basically just has Game of Thrones as yeah. the best presti- channel for prestige drama. And so, if the Fargo people who produce two amazing seasons of TV get a hold of the X universe, I bet they could make a damn well executed X mutant show. I agree. So. Maybe Fox relinquishes movie rights to its characters and it goes all in on TV. I mean, I think TV's rise is going to continue rising. And TV really, I think, is in a much better place right now than movies are in terms of mainstream content. I'm not really interested in discussing indie films, which are always going to be their own animal. This is an interesting discussion. Um, And this may be my final thought, which is just that you know, the X-Men movies have, other than Days of Future Past, have been getting progressively less good in some way, or at least consistently not great, um, since X2, which you and I both love and, and think is a great movie, but uh, but I, 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 in the same time, I don't want Fox to completely relinquish the property, because I want them to do rated R X-Force movies, because they've proven it with Deadpool. I, I I know I'm in the minority based on everything. I do think the final Wolverine movie is going to be really good, mostly because Hugh Jackman is excellent with kids. From X Men to Les Mis, like he's really good on screen with kids, and this young female actress seems to be really good. Um, and so I, th- I think there's a lot of potential there, and Patrick Stewart as a, like a super support. Um, and so if they have two winters. Right, they February this year with Deadpool and March with Logan. If they have two late winners, successful rated R with Deadpool and Wolverine, they would be crazy to give that property away because X Force is the perfect rated R team up to go forward. They should just stop making X Men movies completely for the near future, as far as I'm concerned, and and focus on the darker properties. So there is a lot of breathing room here. You know, me, the PG-13 thing's killing me, and I don't know how sustainable it is. You know, the CW shows are kind of in the PG-13 thing, you know, uh, and, and the S.H.I.E.L.D. is PG-13. Um, 
Netflix isn't pure rated R. It's somewhere between PG-13 and rated R, I would say. Um, so I would like to see more dark stuff, and I wish we didn't have to have HBO to get it, because you know how I feel about <laughs> Game of Thrones and Westworld and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Uh, oh, oh, and this was one really quick thought, was that... that I mean, they, Showtime... They yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say... Well, Showtime say, had Penny yeah. Dreadful, which was yes. amazing, and I mean, I... I could go on a rant about Penny Dreadful, but nobody else who – you don't know anything nobody about it. Knows. But yeah, it ended uh, really terribly, and I don't understand why they went the direction they did. But it was dark and cool and gory as, as fuck. I mean – and sexy. I mean it was a great piece of genre television. Um, and so Showtime for a little while seemed like it might be trying to compete, but it yeah. – it, that was it for that particular channel. Yeah. Um, think the strain, but like much, 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 much sharp, smarter and sharper and more interesting and better characters and more I kick just, ass. It's interesting that with all the new formats and with all the new media outlets, the name of the channel is still so important. Like I haven't seen all these sci-fi shows. I know you have sort of mixed feelings about their quality. But yeah. my guess is Westworld isn't significantly better than all of the sci-fi shows. But because it's on HBO and they can get away with more quote-unquote adult themes, it's seen as such a prestige show because it's HBO, right? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is because it's on HBO, it has a much better budget and it looks like it has a much better budget. I mean, Westworld, which I don't want to debate – it is beautiful. The cinematography looks like something out of a western. I mean, it looks like yeah, but you're true the one that's grit. always arguing for content over over looks. I am not saying it makes it a good show, but it looks better than anything on sci-fi. That's what I'm channel. saying. This is a problem. That the quality is not lining up with where the money is. Right. Um, to your point about yes. Fox going dark, keeping Deadpool. I'm positive that Marvel would take a deal where it doesn't get Deadpool, but it gets the X-Men. And if They can't Fox, get X-Force, though. Wolverine is going to be the point of contention, he, I think. Yeah, but Jackman is probably done after this movie. I don't think he's coming back after Logan. I think that is going to be his no swan song. I'm done with this franchise. I, am, I don't want to be in it anymore. And so Wolverine is irrelevant. He wasn't going to be in any more X-Men movies, and he's not going to be in any movies at all in that universe after Logan comes out. So well, that's uh, to be fair, he's actually said he would like to keep being Wolverine, but he recognizes that this is the end, and so he's not going to fight it and be there uh, overly long. He's changed his position publicly, at least about it, that he does love. He's being changed Wolverine. his opinion, so his preference, so well, many times. Who can times. blame him? The quality of the movies has been so up and down. His solo movies haven't been very good, and the X Men movies have been split. You know, yeah. and, the, and the X Men movies that have done well, including Future Past, have him as a main character character and they obviously fucked up big time by not having him as a main character in apocalypse among other problems with that movie sure although Uh, he's barely in first class and first class is i would say one of the the three best x movies it earned less Uh than half of days of future okay all right turn out sure because jackman is a bigger name than mcavoy or fassbender was well, it that? I, I overestimated J Law was my problem with Apocalypse. I mean, I overestimated well, I its quality. The movie was but bad. Yes, I mean, and then it was subpar. Made... It wasn't horrible the way BVS was. I don't think I, I wasn't right. in pain watching it, even though I was disappointed. But they gambled. They tried. They thought that if they they made a terrible marketing move where they let yes. 
the reviewers have at it early. I yep. think because maybe they either they knew it was bad, it was going to tank, well, and they just wanted Marvel. to start writing it off, or they really time. thought they could get the Civil War treatment where everybody was going to just uh, wax poetic about how wonderful it was, I and then it. it backfired. I mean the well, the it was hype, also Civil War was still out when it came out. I mean it was yeah like, yeah. But Apocalypse, a month in advance, critics were calling garbage. So that, I mean, $550 million and a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes isn't the worst thing in the world. No, you know? it's fine. Um, but I think Jackman is a, is a non-issue for what Fox would have to give up versus what it would get to retain. And if giving up Cyclops and Beast and all of those characters, if they get to keep Deadpool and uh, Angel and Cable. maybe – and cable and but that's uh, but that's jeans and scott's uh, son so Psylocke. how do they give away gene and scott i don't know how that works i think there's going to be a spider-man deal i think it's going to be a spider-man deal it's going to be a licensing situation yeah, with the x-men be. yeah they're gonna they're gonna maintain partial control they're gonna let marvel make the creative decisions they get to do the rated r movies the main x-men movies will be released and produced and made by marvel but they'll still own part sure. of it yeah sure that all sounds fine i mean fox we can think of Disney as an evil empire kind of an organization, and they are, but they do clearly know yeah. what they're doing in a way that they Fox yeah. and to some extent see, uh, Warner yeah. Brothers just right. does not. All right, got to wrap this up All because right. it's fucking late, people. <laughs> this is a commitment of, of, of the Bizzle and Maddie G. Um, it's really late, and, and we're, we're doing this for you, and I'm going to stay up as late as, as necessary uh, to make sure that this is out the morning after the CW invasion team up crossover is done, so we're gonna be we're gonna be the first ones out there. I I, I think we're the definitive voice on this. I'm gonna just put it out there. Um, we've talked about this a ton, um, and so really quick, man. Final question: mm-hmm. Are you at all getting a little more excited about Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> Because the commercials have been amazing. I know you don't watch them, but even fast-forwarding through them, they look spectacular. I was having so much fun watching this four-part crossover. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about Star Wars. All right, well, just a tease. I DVR'd yeah. it, and there were commercials for Rogue One, and I just fast-forwarded over them because right. I wanted to watch Flash and Supergirl and Ragman and all those people yeah. beat up a bunch of aliens. Okay. And I I loved it. I, I So so right now it's, it's 1.30 in the morning, Friday, December 2nd. Uh, this past Sunday at midnight, tickets went on sale for Rogue One. I bought two tickets for me and my dad, Papa Bizzle. Opening night, first showing in the country, public showing, 7 p.m. in Philadelphia at the Rave Theater, one of the great movie theaters in this city. It's a it's it's a it's a theater that shows mainstream movies, but it but it it feels and sounds and looks like a great indie theater. Um, for Rogue One. I'm very pumped. I'm more excited for this than any of the Marvel movies. We've talked about why before. So I'm going to definitely do some sort of pre-Rogue One thing. Maybe with my buddy Adam Dietz, who I've been talking to, who's a huge Star Wars fan. So we'll look forward to that. So this was great, man. Thanks for coming on. Again, thank you for, you know, forcing, not forcing me, but thanks for convincing me to explore CW. I may or may not keep following all these shows, but I've still watched, you know, Almost two full seasons of Flash, 
three and a half seasons of Arrow, a couple, you know, little bits of Supergirl and Legends. It's been it's been a great experience. You know, me with TV, I'm really fickle, and it takes a lot to keep me motivated, especially when you have a network where there's literally 100 episodes a season between four shows. It's just too much TV for me, so I'm doing what I can. I do love Arrow, and I, I, I love the writing of Flash uh, when it's at its best. So... Um, uh, how are you feeling? And you can sign off here with your final thought. How are you feeling going into the future with with, with uh, the CW just for, for this year? Forget long-term expectations. Do you think they're going to try and build off this? Or it's just a, a crossover, let's get more people watching event and, and everyone geek out and then we just go back to business as usual? Well, Andrew Kreisberg, who is one of the showrunners for all four, has said this was definitely done to make it easier to do this again the next time they want to do a big event. So clearly they are planning. They're going to do this again. I would guess next year. I don't think we're going to get another four part crossover this year. I think these take a fair amount of planning. Um, but I certainly think, you know, this is a sign that I don't know, maybe it turns out to be nothing. And if it does fine, it was 3.1 hours of very, very entertaining television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as good Better than Legends has ever been, as good as Flash has ever been, and a pretty good Arrow episode that had the unfortunate task of having to also be a retrospective. We made it to episode 100, which that was the 100th episode, and so you kind of have to do a legacy episode while also doing a crossover episode. Sure. They did the best they could, and I actually liked the way it was executed. I liked the visuals of the the shared hallucination. Um, So if all it... Oh no! Go, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was gonna. I was gonna end it with a final thought. But if you have more to say, go for it. If all this is is an experiment to see if they could do it, I think they did it very, very, yep. very successfully. Very. And I hope they do it again. I, I hope. You know, I buy that all of. These oh, we haven't talked about like the main thing, which is Gustin and Amel have amazing chemistry together on screen. They're yeah. they're working together and being friends and helping each other through their the dark parts of their lives. Right? I mean, this is really yeah. rare. And if there is one thing that I'm kind of hoping spins out of this, specifically as it relates to The Flash, this four-parter does deal with some of the emotional toll of Barry creating Flashpoint. And it seems like they kind of conclude some of these emotional arcs, uh, and so maybe they can get past them. So maybe... Cisco won't be so mopey moving forward. Maybe he and Barry are back on solid ground. Um, you know, maybe we can get past this, uh, I wrecked everything, I ruined everybody's lives attitude that's kind of dragging Flash down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope that is what carries over from this moving forward is we can get back to the fun of the Flash. Um, and hopefully this was a chance to kind of everybody airs their grievances. Yep. We had our feats of strength. <laughs> and now we're just back to your regularly scheduled programming. That's a Seinfeld reference, people. Yeah, and I didn't even watch that show. But <laughs> it's a Festivus for the rest of us. Exactly. I, I will say that this, though, man. off the cuff, by the way. I, I think that Barry's level of self-doubt and self-criticism is appropriate. Like, whereas in the past, sure. he was either not conscious enough of it, or more likely, he was... Um, too hard on like in terms of the writing he was too hard on himself in an unrealistic way sure um, but you don't uh, have yeah. to you don't have to get mopey about no, that i think recognize what you did Cisco's resolve to mopey. be better well except flash is mopey too i mean they're all kind of mopey, they're a little uh, mopey. Yeah. this season so okay is it just me or are they up. 
it's resolve just, to be better yeah. and and move forward. You is know, is it just me or they si- they've seemed to be increasingly sidelining Caitlyn over the seasons? Again, I haven't seen everything. It seems like she's not she's not valued as much as as Cisco for some reason. Yeah, she definitely has less to do. Yeah. Um, just because all of the solutions they keep coming up with are tech solutions, and that's what he does. Yeah. So yeah, they could pose a couple of more problems that maybe need a biological solution. She's like the uh, smarter Laurel, basically. <laughs> uh, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. She's yeah. much more She's critical better. than that. Oh yeah, but yeah, and a better I mean, too. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that, but she's fine. I do think they could give her a little bit more to do. I think this Killer Frost arc is fine, but I'd like to see her have a more positive impact as well. A, a more, you know, Caitlin's skill set is as a doctor, so let her yep. solve some problems by being a doctor. And she does that a little, but I think she's definitely contributing less than really anybody other than Joe yep. uh, on that show. I mean, I think Iris does more to contribute just by being barry's kind of emotional center oh yeah Um, iris is a good actress too again any of my complaints about these characters are completely have to do with the writing and nothing to do with the actors there's really no main actor in the main series that i think is is bad or even mediocre they're all at least above average i think yeah yeah um and the same could be said about shield you know i mean you may not like shield but for the most part the main six seven eight actors are really talented um on that show and so you know uh, look when, when you blame the writers for for failures or or subpar uh you know creations like that's not the worst situation to be in the worst situation is to have bad actors and bad writing and so luckily the cw doesn't have to worry about the bad actors and it's never bad writing i just think it could be a little more consistent but again when you have four shows in this universe and 100 episodes per season it's tough it's really yeah. really tough um so awesome man well this was great i really enjoyed it i'm definitely gonna go back and and rewatch uh legends i think with the volume on um <laughs> the entire episode look really amazing and I- i'm definitely gonna catch up with Aaron flash at some point i just don't know when but i, I- i'm definitely on board with you that cw is the superior tv property at this point and that includes if you take out jessica jones that includes netflix i think cw is better than daredevil or luke what i've seen of luke cage um, just my personal preference. Cause they just, you know, as you've said, they just go for it. They don't care that it's a little campy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They just, they just go for it. They don't, they're not so up their ass. You know, everything doesn't need to be yeah. so serious and slow all the time. So, okay, man. Well, thanks so much. Bizzlecast listeners, thanks for listening and we are out. <laughs>